Uh, we are about to finish our study on the first four chapters of Genesis. And uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I never preach on a book of the Bible. I never preach on any subject, any topic, uh, willy-nilly. There's always a reason that I'm preaching uh, what I'm preaching on. Sometimes I need to address Redeemer, particulars of people, because our sins might be different than other churches' sins. There might be things that are going on here at Redeemer. And so we need to address our congregation. Sometimes uh, I'm, I'm addressing our culture. It's particular to us and what's going on in our culture. And the reality is that the Scripture is living and breathing. It's not just this document, but if the Word of God is applied to the proper situation then it is, uh, it is transformative, whether it's to you as a person, like Chris said, he heard the gospel, or whether it's to a church, or whether it's to, to a community that is sin. Now, the reason I say that is the, the, the series that I've been uh, speaking on uh, is, is really directed at our, at our culture. And, uh, and, of course, it's directed at us as well as believers because we're, we're part of, of that culture. And so it's relevant to us. I think it's wrong for us to, if we talk about our culture, to get into the culture wars. That it's us uh, against them kind of mentality. We can leave that to the politicians and those who want to trust politicians to save them. That's not what we're doing. And so what I've been trying to say is, is that for the last 30 years that I've been in ministry, I've seen our culture moving more and more away, trying to cling to Christian residuals uh, that we call Christendom into this brave new world that we find ourselves in. I've said many times that I, I believe that, that Christendom is over. You can take a fork and you can stick in it. The residuals are done. And I have also said that I believe that we as the church are now in the Babylonian captivity. And therefore we, we need to be salt. And we need uh, to be light. We don't need to be culture warriors. That's over with. But one of the things I've been trying to say that's happening in our culture is this loss of distinction. What we've been looking at in Genesis, I hope you've been saying this, is distinctions throughout the first three chapters. There's God and the, and the creature, the creator and the creature. There is a difference between uh, those who are image bearers, those who are created in the image of God, and the creation that they're to subdue. We're different than the animals. We saw very clearly in the creation of Adam and Eve that he made us male and female. There is a distinction that is there. There's a distinction between family and government. But we live in a culture that's moving away from distinctions because of this notion of what we call egalitarianism, right? Wait, egalitarianism, there's your big word. But all that is saying is it is the belief that everything is equal and the same. There are no distinctions. Now, I'm telling you, this, is, this has all kind of ramifications of our very understanding of the gospel itself. How can we understand Christ's law for his church if we don't understand what it means that a man chooses his bride and he calls her to himself to have a new name and a new life? 
Now, let me tell you where I've seen this uh, recently. Uh, is we are in the process of conscripting our daughters into the military. Um, now, I don't, I don't want to get off on that. That's not really my, the, the point I want to make, but you, you can imagine for, as a father, and as a grandfather, um, that, that is a horrific idea to me uh, because, uh, because even if the war is just and good and is to protect... To ask those who give life uh, to enter into to such an occasion is beyond me. It boggles my imagination. I just have to be honest with you and say that. But, but again, that's not my point. The, the point is this. This is just being consistent with the loss of a Christian worldview and this idea that everything is equal and the same. It just makes sense. That makes logic sense. Does that make sense to y'all that that's where we're headed? But remember, a couple of weeks ago, I said that saying uh, that, that, that men and women are equal and the same is like saying that tools are equal and the same. Tools are equal, but a hammer is different than a screwdriver. You use them for different reasons. So that's, it, it is, to me, I, I, hopefully you're understanding what's going on out there. Now again, my goal is not to... to mock our culture. It's not even to change our culture from the standpoint of politically or anything like that. But for us as Christians to understand that the Bible is full of distinctions. And to lose those distinctions is for you to lose the understanding of the gospel itself. Now we're going to see a distinction this morning. That's why I said all that, okay? We're going to look at the distinction between Cain and Abel this morning. We have another distinction. It's in chapter 4. But really, what we're going to see is that this is a distinction between Cain and Jesus Christ. So if you would, I want you to turn to our text, which is the Word of God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and, and, and it desire, its desire is for you. But you must rule. You must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying from the ground. 
Now this is God's word. Let's pray for the preaching of his word. Father, we thank you that your word is good and true. And ultimately, your word shows the distinction between us and you. You're the creator, and you've given us your word to know who we are, to know why we are the way we are, to know why we're here on this planet, and to know who you are. Father, we confess to you that all of us, including the preacher himself, uh, Lord, our, our understanding is often darkened because we have our own agendas. Uh, we bring our sacrifices uh, in a very half-hearted way. We bring ourselves in a very half-hearted way. And there's no way to understand the power of the gospel in a half-hearted way. For Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the condition, is to be heavy laden. To realize that we are burdened by anxiety and fear. We're, we, we are burdened by our own loneliness. We're burdened if we do not believe the gospel of a life that's meaningless. But Lord, we're above all burdened by our sin that we're all hiding from each other. We're all covering up. So Lord, we ask that you would make clear the preaching of your word. That we would hear it, understand it. And God, you would give us the grace as you would apply it to our hearts to be transformed by this gospel. And so we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Now, let me begin by saying that I'm going to do something that I've done only a couple of times in my 30 years that I've been preaching. Uh, I want you to ignore the title. Now, let me tell you why I want you to ignore the title. Normally, in a normal week, I have plenty of time to read, to exegete a text, to understand the text, to know what the limits of the text, what the subject of the text is, and what I feel like God is wanting me to preach on. And, uh, and so I get the bulletin in, usually by Thursday or so. And uh, so I, I thought I knew what this text was saying. Uh, but, not like I normally do. And so, but I had, to do, I, had to, I had to get the text in. Let me tell you why. It was not a normal week for me. I had an uncle who passed away, Uncle Bill Earl. And I was asked to preach his funeral yesterday. And in my family, there's this increasing unbelief, a rejection of the gospel of hope. And so my cousin... Many of them have rejected the gospel. And my cousin's children, who are my children's age, are rejecting the gospel. And I love them, and I'm burdened for them. And if Jesus was not accepted preaching at Nazareth, who am I to preach at my uncle's funeral to hardened cousins? And so I spent many, many, many hours on that sermon. And so on my way to Greenville, and I'm trying to, to process every, all I've got going on, I, I, so I, I, I listened to a number of tapes, a number of different sermons and teachings uh, on this text. 
And on my way to Greenville and on my way back to Greenville, I was convinced that my interpretation was not the right one. And let me tell you why. Uh, though this text is certainly about sacrifice and the distinction between Cain and Abel's sacrifice, one pleasing and one not, it is not so much about the, the sacrifice itself, not the nature of the sacrifice. And this is what's important that I want you to understand this morning. It is the intent of the heart bringing the sacrifice. So let me give you my outline. Now, I, my footprint's on the sermon, but I borrowed. Uh, points one and point three are my footprint. Point two is the one that really kind of made me go, you know, I really do think this is what this text is saying, Okay. So here's the, the, the first point that I want us to see. Th this text tells us why the world is the way it is. And we've been seeing that throughout Genesis. And if you're not a believer, or you're not sure if you believe the Bible or not, you're not sure if the, the first chapters of Genesis are true, then you know what, then you have to explain why the world is the way it is. Well, where do we see this? Verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And she bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, a few weeks ago, we saw that, that Adam had plunged the world into sin, Adam and Eve. And, and everything has gone haywire. That evil has entered the world. That this was not God's intent. We saw in chapter 1 that everything that he created, that he created uh, was good. But we also saw a couple of weeks ago that Adam, right after the curse, shows faith. I believe Adam was a Christian. I don't believe Cain was. And there's plenty of reasons to believe that. But why do we think that Adam was a Christian? Because God said that they would die, and they had not died at that point. Spiritually, they had died. They were cut off from God, and trust me, if you're living your own life, doing your own thing, and you're spiritually cut off from God, I, can, I know your life is miserable. At some level, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're fearful. But God made a promise that there would be a promised seed who would crush the head of the one that deceived the woman. And all of history is about this, this conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Between those who are saved by faith through grace and those who are not between what we call the reprobate, those who will never believe, and those who God is calling. But you see, ultimately, it, it was the seed, singular. It was Jesus. That Paul makes very clear throughout the New Testament. Seed being not plural, but one, who is Christ. So Adam believed that God was going to provide a Savior. 
Now, what's very interesting, and, and pretty much all, all scholars believe this, is that when Cain was born, it says, she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, let me tell you what most commentators believe, what most scholars believe, that if you look at the the Hebrew, uh, basically what she said is, this is the man. It's translated ish, the the baby is translated ish. And it's the only time in the, the whole of the Old Testament that the word for a baby is man. And it's right here. And so it is their declaration, the promised seed has come. And here he is. What's saying? Of course, we're going to see that they were wrong. So let me say this for, for just a, a moment. You know, faith can, can, faith can waver. Uh, you, can, you can put your faith in what you think God is going to do, and you're sure that's what he's going to do, but it's not what he does. And let me, I can give you a lot of examples of that in the Old Testament, I mean, in, the, in the Bible. One is John the Baptist. You're, do you remember? He was absolutely certain that Jesus was the Christ. And one of the reasons he, he thought the the coming of the kingdom was going to be immediate is because he actually missed Isaiah 53. That Jesus would be a suffering servant. And so he sends for Jesus uh, and he sends his disciples and, and says, are, are, you, are you really the one? I'm about to lose my head. Are you the one? And of course, Jesus quotes Isaiah for him. Tell John that the blind see and the lame walk. And his faith was then put on the right understanding and the right object of his faith. His faith would have to wait. It was not Cain. Because they would eventually see that Cain himself had to bring sacrifices. So it wasn't him. And not only that, but they would discover that far be it that he is the Messiah, he is a murderer who killed his own brother. How great the effects of sin, right? I mean, you you go back and you look at the first sin. The first sin was, was simply that Adam and Eve didn't take God at his word. Has God really said? But in reality, they, they were more interested in power and control than they were God's provision and God's love. They wanted to be in control. But you look at that and you say, well, it's not that great a sin to partake of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But now we see the effects of sin in the very second sin. It goes from that to the corruption that came to Cain through Adam and Eve. He hated his brother. He was envious of his, of his brother. 
and he murdered his brother. Now, let me see if I can make this a little bit more poignant. There is evil everywhere. 125 million people were, were killed in the last century. Uh, because of dictators, those who wanted their way, the way the, the people who wanted their rule. And then over the years, I've discovered that they're dictators in our, in our own homes. Rather than having fathers who love their children and their wives and want to lay their wives down, they dictate. They're controlling. They're demanding. All you got to do is read the newspaper of any week. And you'll discover that human beings are not such wonderful people. I had a girl when I was uh, at one of the universities where I was a, was a campus minister with RUF. A wonderful girl. Grew up in a PCA home. Her grandfather was a min uh, not a minister, but he was, uh, he was uh, part of one of the churches. Uh, but he sexually abused his granddaughter. That's horrible, right? I, I, I read the other day... Um, of a mother that hired a hitman to kill a mother and the daughter who was competing for the, her daughter to be a cheerleader. And there was only one spot left. And uh, she decided only to, to have the mother killed because it was cheaper. So this is the condition that we find ourselves in. How do we get here? God lovingly came, as God lovingly came to Adam and said, what have you done? Grace, right? Grace coming and asking the question, what is this that you have done? God now in his grace and his mercy, before Adam, uh, he, uh, uh, Cain commits a sin, he comes to Cain and he warns him. He says, Cain, sin is at your doorstep. I know you're downcast. Now, that's the first thing. I mean, the reason that things are the way they are and the reason there's so much killing and murder and all these incredible things that go on is because, because of sin. Oh, but not me, right? Not you. Especially if you've grown up in a Christian home and you're a teenager right now and you're, you're really, um, you come to church, uh, you do RUF, well, let's look further. And the second thing to see this, our text tells us that the problem in the world begins with your heart. It begins with every human heart. Now, notice what he says in verse 6 and 7. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires for you. It desires, its desire is for you. And you must rule over it. Let me tell you, this is where I begin to start changing my thinking about this text. And this is very important. And it will be real practical to you. 
so much I had read and so many scholars. Uh, Chris, you just got out of seminary. I'm sure that you've seen, if you study these texts, many scholars think that what this text is speaking of is, well, Cain brought substance of the ground. His works. And uh, so he thought he was a, a wonderful person. And, and so, but more importantly, he didn't really obey uh, what God determined should be the right sacrifice, which is a blood sacrifice, right? Have you ever heard that interpretation? But what did Abel do? His, 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 his sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord. And so obviously, it was the, the killing of an animal, the innocent, the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If this is what that text was saying, if this is what the sacrifices were, then that would make sense. But what's very interesting, if you look out through, through the Old Testament, there were all kinds of offerings, and not all of them were sin offerings. I took a course on Leviticus when I was at seminary. It was uh, Leviticus and Hebrews, and showed how they all tied together. And man, you're reading through all these sacrifices and these different things, but one thing you learn as you go through Leviticus is that there are different kinds of sacrifices. But one of the sacrifices was a grain offering. It wasn't, it wasn't for, for, for blood for the covering of sin. So here's what's going on here. What's going on here is this is an offering of oneself. And so what we learn about Abel is that Abel's Sacrifice was acceptable to God. Why? Because it was by faith. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you see that in the text? Well, thankfully, we have the New Testament. And the New Testament begins to explain the Old Testament because both the Old Testament and the New Testament are about Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And every time you walk out of here, if there's anything I want you to be thinking about, is the second Adam. That he came into the world, he was crucified, he was raised from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and either you're giving yourself to him or you're giving yourself to something else. Now, what was Cain's problem? Uh, Cain's problem was that he didn't come in faith. Hebrews says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. You see, the difference is this. Abel believed the grace of God. And so that sacrifice that he brought was just a sign that he had given himself completely. What about Cain? Cain brings, brings his sacrifice, but unlike Abel, he didn't come in faith. And let me tell you what faith does. <laughs> because it's from God, if you're a born-again person, uh, or if you're a person who knows God, it is this faith that constantly compels you to Christ. Not your works, but it's his faith. 
So what was Cain's problem? Let me tell you what Cain's problem. This is why I want to be real practical before I move on to, 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 to my last uh, point. Uh, someone put this. Cain is like the average person who goes to church. They're half-hearted. He wants to run his life. You see two different hearts that are here. Cain was not blessed and, and Abel was. And what is the end result of a, of a half-hearted person, a church person? They're just like Cain. And we talk about this a lot. I mean, at some point, I hope, if some of you deal with a lot of anger, you begin to, instead of hardening your heart more when you hear this, you begin to soften your heart. But Cain was angry. He was angry at his brother, and he was angry at God. And so God comes to him and he says, Now, now Cain, listen, <laughs> let's, let's reason together here because you need to know that the problem with you is not, not your half-heartedness, but, your, but not being wholehearted. And if you're half sin is lurching at your door. Let me tell you the difference between a Christian. And a church person. A Christian, when things don't go right, right, you put your faith, and this is the way my life's going to turn out. If you're, if you're over 55 or 60 years old, can anybody raise their hand and say, this Christian life has worked out exactly like I wanted it to. My kids are great, and uh, we've had no death, and I didn't go bankrupt. Even though I gave my tithe, I, I went bankrupt. My life is great. Let me tell you what a Christian does. By faith. Because they have given themselves to Christ. They say, Lord, why is this happening? Why is this happening? But Lord, not my will, your will be done. Now what about you who are here that have never really fully put your faith in Christ? You're like the church person. You go to RUF, you go to Redeemer, you go to church. But you're, there's still this condition you're not really bringing that sacrifice wholeheartedly. What is the unbeliever's uh, response? It's anger. It's self-pity. The world and God owes me. And half-heartedness looks ordinarily, doesn't it? Oh, okay, I know I'm not what I ought to be. But you see, it's at the half-heartedness that the monster lies. So God comes to him and he says, now wait a minute. You don't understand what your heart is capable of. And how does he describe this sin that he warns Cain about? The very same Hebrew word that he gives for the woman in the curse, you will desire your husband to rule him. Sin, which originates in the half-hearted heart, seeks to rule you. In the Hebrew, the idea is uh, of a lion that's sitting, waiting to pounce. Now, when I think about that image, I've watched these, uh, these shows, and we, you know, wildlife shows, and here's this little gazelle, you know, and they're coming by the water hole, and the camera's already on that 
that tiger or that lion. And you're going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it slinks up. But when it's ready to pounce, wham, it hits it. Now, this is what I think God is trying to tell us in his word. That a half-hearted offering that underneath that lurches sin that wants to pounce on you. Kind of sits in a corner. And so, so you, you don't think envy is that big a deal. Okay, I, need, I envy, but who doesn't envy? And then all of a sudden, envy lends itself to a life controlled by envy. Or for, for your money, you say, well, you know, I don't really need to, I don't really need to give this time. So you give no time. And then after a while, you don't give at all. Or you say, well, uh, I, know that, I know that I should forgive that person. But I hate that person. And then hate takes over. You see, half-heartedness, and this is what really so powerfully hit, hit me, always lends itself to hard-heartedness. So, so there's either kind of this moving toward this God who says, who, who says to you today, sin is lurching. You must master it. And then the reality is that our sins um, not only affect ourselves, but they begin to affect the people around you. And then not only that, but the seeds that you've sown, they come back to you and the sins of others begin to affect you. And so you see these families, and I just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just got back from a huge family deal, and, and you see family members who over the years don't like each other. They'll sit on the other side or way away from each other at funerals. Because you see, that is the nature of half-heartedness. There is a power to sin. And I'll tell you, when that, that, that lion hits that gazelle, that gazelle's, you know... <laughs> In the, in, the, in the lion's clutch, uh, but it's still alive, but the, the, but the lion is eating it alive. That's what sin does. And so our text tells us that the problem in the world begins with the human heart. Now let me ask you before I move in, where's your heart? I mean, is your heart responding to God, to, to serve Him, to give yourself to Him, to know Him, to, to honor Him. And you say, well, how would I know that? Let me tell you how you really know that. One is you're in fellowship with a lot of Christians. You come to church. You want to be with other believers. But let me tell you, when you start moving away, you see, you're beginning to, to say, think that sin is a small thing. Let me tell you another way you know. Let me tell you another way that you know that God's at work in your life is that the, the more you want to bring yourself, the more you see the sin in your life, the more you see the conflict in your life, the more you see your need for Jesus Christ, and the more you rest in Him and what He's done. You're not, there is no love without humility. I mean, if love, joy, peace, patience, you know how that love, joy, peace, patience come? It's when you see that God is constantly loving you, constantly being patient with you, constantly putting up with you, 
And you go, Lord, you still love me. But you're so focused on his love and his mercy to you that no one would love you that way. And what we long for from, from people is someone to be committed to me. That's why so many of you are unhappy in your marriages. That's why you're unhappy in your businesses. That's why you're unhappy in your professions. Because there's this thing that you committed to, and the thing that you committed to is eating you alive. You young girls, you want to marry the guy who's going who's to be so committed to you that, that uh, eventually you won't have to wear makeup. And I love you anyway. Oh, you really look like that in the morning. But, 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 you, see, but, but you see a person who begins to understand this gospel. That's what you want. Not, not to be a pastor of a big church. Uh, not to be an elder, not to, not to be a, on the women's council. You, you, you want Jesus. Now, which brings me to my last point. It says something about the world uh, that we live in, why it's the way it is, and there's murder and killing and hatred. It tells us that the problem begins with you. It begins with me. It begins in your heart. And, and I, I trust and pray that your heart is not so hard that you can't just go, you know what, Lord, what you're saying is true. Please forgive me, rather than just being angry. If you get mad at me today, I'm telling you the truth. I think I'm telling you the Word of God. And if you're angry at me, it's because you're half-hearted. It's like nobody can be that serious about their faith. Of course not, which brings me to my last point. This text tells us something about the heart of God, doesn't it? You know what's really amazing? Is that after Cain kills his brother, God comes to him again. He's asking him questions. Where's your brother? Now, why do you think he's doing that? He doesn't know where his brother is. I mean, for crying out loud, as we'll see in a minute, his blood is crying to God. He's asking the questions. And so we see his kindness and his mercy in, in, in that. Now, one thing we talk a lot about here at Redeemer. We talk a lot about diagnostics. We talk a lot about if you love somebody, if I love Jeff Allen sitting here on the front row and he's one of my ruling elders, then I should want to know what's going on with Jeff. Would y'all agree with that? Or James Snyder on the third row, or Fritz Schaefer, Dr. Schaefer, when he's here, not in India or China somewhere speaking. But, but, but to, to go, what's going on with Fritz? What's going on with my wife? What's, go, what's going on with Hal? You know, it's a wonderful thing. Um, I can tell you, I have a deacon. And this deacon calls me all the time. He says, hey, how are you doing? He'll text me a message. He'll say, are you doing okay? Now, I'm, now don't bombard me with text messages, okay? Because I know you're a hypocrite anyway. But, <laughs> but it's, it's just great to go, how are you doing? Because you know when I get that, I go, huh, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> By the way, could the pastor be self-deceived? Could you be deceived and not know it? And so the reason a lot of you like to move away from the church and come every now and then, and you move away from other Christians, don't go to prayer, don't do it. You know why? It's because you know you're half-hearted. You don't want anybody asking you questions. God's, God's always asking you the question. As a matter of fact, every time I preach, I hope in the name of Jesus Christ, I can ask you the question. About what do you believe about this? 
And so we see God's mercy in that he's coming and he's asking questions, not because he doesn't know, but because he's doing the diagnostic. Sin is at your doorstep. It's, alert, it's ready to pounce on you and eat you alive. James puts it this way, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. It's serious. Well, let me ask this. Who here is wholehearted for God? Anybody here just like, I am. And if you think, I'm telling you this because I'm wholehearted, you know nothing about me. Well, where do we see the, the heart of God in this and what he's like? Well, first off, I'll tell you, what, here's how we see God. Oh, what, what a just God. He's perfectly holy and pure. How do we see this? Cain's, Abel's death is not in vain. The blood is crying up. And let me tell you why there's hell. Because God is good. You know, last week, Jonah, this spoke, was it last week, I think? The missionary, converted Muslim, a man who's been beaten for his faith, a man who's suffered, a man who lives in danger of losing his life and he loved Jesus Christ. Do you know what happened to him the week before he came and spoke? His whole life savings was stolen from him by somebody in Philadelphia, by the way. Chris, the one you, was it? Chris knows the gospel. He say, don't put it past me. What if that guy never gives an account? Uh, do y'all, don't y'all think it's horrible to steal from old people? And now they have nothing and they, they have nothing. He has no recourse. I don't think he's going to get his money back. Then let me ask you something. Does that make you mad? How much more does it make Almighty God mad? You see, God is just, and the reason there's hell is because God is good. And if people don't respond to his mercies, then you can argue all of eternity in hell that is not fair. But you actually won't say that. And so, so we, we, we long for there to, to be justice, and God is going, the blood of Abel is crying out. Every sin that has ever been committed will be accounted for. And if you don't believe that, well, then that's what, that's what the Bible says. I don't know what you believe, but you know what? I guarantee you that if you don't think that you're a sinner, go ask your best friend. Go ask your wife of the things, or husband, of the things they've had to forgive you for. Well, where do we see the goodness of God in His, in his mercy? Well, you know, what's really sad is that Cain forfeits his salvation. We see this later in the scriptures. We see it in the blood of Christ. You see, <clears throat> Cain was not, Adam and Eve were wrong. He was not the guy. But there would be one who would come. And unlike Cain, and unlike me, and unlike you, 
He's born of a virgin to come in the world. I'm going to tell you why. By necessity, if you are to be saved. To live the life you don't live, because I'm going to tell you, would, would anybody in this room want to be held accountable for just this past week's sin? I, I was thinking about some of the sins I've committed in my life, and one I, I, I think about is a girl I guarantee it still hates my guts. Her name's Nancy, and I won't say it the last night since we're everywhere now. Let me tell you why she hates me. Because when I was, as far as a Christian, but when I was in the locker room, you know how boys talk about girls? And I, I said something that wasn't even true about her. You know, I said, girls, I said, you know, she's probably somebody you want to take on a date. And so, of course, I, I told it to somebody that I thought was a friend. And, uh, and of course, they went and told her and everybody and went around the whole high school. Now, let me ask them, do, do you think I did her wrong? Now, that was just one day in probably October 1971. Just one thing I did. What will you do? For all the stuff you've done to other people, I'm telling you, what you've done will cry out to God. But you see, Christ came and he shed his blood. You see, there's blood that falls to the ground. The blood, you see, the wages of sin is death. And so he substituted, he died, and when his blood went to the ground, you know what his blood cries out? His blood cries mercy for that sinner. His blood is crying, Father, Father, have mercy upon them. Father, continue to pursue them. And here's what you need to understand. If you keep thinking, well, I was bad yesterday, and I'm going to try harder today, and maybe I'll get better, and what, then you're not understanding whatsoever. The blood of Christ says, I demand justice for Hal Farnsworth. I've already paid. Is that awesome? Every sin you've ever committed against Nancy, or against my wife, or against my children, or against maybe some of you I don't even know about, but Jen, come talk to me about it. Maybe I, 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 I hurt you in some way. They're gone. Now, one last thing, and I'm, I want to conclude on this. Do y'all understand what I'm saying here? The, 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 the wholehearted offering was Jesus. He was not like Cain. He willingly died for you if you're a Christian. So what should your response be? What should my response be? I want to, I want to conclude. I remember a quote by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, and I want to conclude on this. I want you to ponder this. Okay? Give me all of you. I do not want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money. I don't want so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all your desires, all your wants, all your wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. And give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself, my will shall become your will, and my heart shall become your heart. May God have mercy upon us.
Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, as we come to the table, we're, we are so grateful for your, Lord Jesus, your wholehearted, undivided love for the Father and love for us. You are the true Israelite. Father, if there's any who are here today, I'm, I don't want them walking away going, well, I need to be more wholehearted. They, they missed the point. Lord, we're all half-hearted. And so this morning we come to you again. Would you transform us as we give ourselves to you? Our money, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our retirement funds, our vacation. Lord, we want to give it all to you. You want to take it away? We have you. Would you make yourself real to at least someone this morning? That they would come to Jesus. Not believe in him, but come to him. And I ask it in your name. Amen.